fire, earth, water, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed and the water nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hey everyone, welcome to part two of The Golden Seeds. Alright, I have nothing to tell you because let's get to the action. Obligatory ad, then the episode. Distorted Reality by Bank Bank. Chapter 21. The Golden Siege, Part 2. Book 1. Fire. Chapter 20. The Golden Siege, Part 2. Previously, several hours later, well into the night, Azula awoke. The first thing she did, of course, was to search around, panicked. Where was Aang? Sokka had taken him. She had failed. The Avatar was taken right out from under her. She still wasn't strong enough. Appa dropped down at the entrance of the dragon altar with a crash, Zuko sitting on his head and Zhuzhen in the saddle. Azula! The boy called to his sister. She was on her knees, her hair cascading down from her shoulders and dripping wet. She had the air of one who had been defeated. She didn't move at the sound of her voice. What happened? Where is he? Sokka happened, she finally said. He took Aang right out from under me. Let's go, Zuko said, not moving from the reins. We can still find them. Sokka can't have gone far. Where could he have gone? Zhuzhen asked timidly. The only place he'd be able to go. Away from the city. Zuko looked to the north, past the dragon altar, and out into the wilderness beyond. He was forced into the volcanic fields. We can still find them, he repeated. When his sister made no movements, he shouted at her. Azula, let's go! Don't you yell at me, brother! She hissed venomously. She twisted her body to stare at him. Zuko's eyes widened. The fire in her eyes and her frazzled hair gave her the appearance of a deranged person. It scared him. Azula, he said more softly. Come on. You can get your revenge on Sokka. We have to save Aang. Azula's moment of rage passed, and she seemed to calm herself. She clutched her golden headpiece in her hand and set her eyes determinedly. Fine. Let's go. And with the grace of a cat, she jumped on Appa's back. Hi, Chief Zuzhen. You stay here. You have to be with your people. They need you more than we do, Zuko said to the Golden City leader. The older man jumped from Appa's back nimbly. You are right, Zuzhen replied. May Agni's light shine on the both of you, he said. Without another word, Appa flew off into the ashen sky and the dangerous lands beyond. He had hope for them. Sokka shuffled along on the rocky landscape on high alert. The Avatar, whose body was still glowing, was draped along his back, unmoving. This made things difficult for the Water Prince. The land around him was merciless and unforgiving, with rivers of lava and geysers of hot air all around him. The smoke and ash in the air was burning his eyes and throat. He didn't know how much longer he could stand within this place. He covered his mouth in fabric in an attempt to make breathing easier. He was prepared, though. He was always prepared. He knew exactly where he was going and what he was doing. The plan was to make it through the mountain range of volcanic fields over to the shore again, well away from the city. His grandmother had arranged for a ship to be docked against the island. From there, the two would rendezvous and make their way back to the southern water tribe, now with the Avatar in his clutches. 
Sako would finally end his self-imposed exile and restore his honor to his people. Honor was traditionally a Fire Nation thing, but Sokka was only human. He was shamed, and he had to make up for it. The only problem would be getting to the fields alive. The spirit world was still a strange place. It was exactly as he remembered, just a big swamp. A big, nasty, disgusting swamp with annoying, rude, and troublesome creatures. And, to top it all off, he was totally without his bending. Just great. Aang disregarded the fact that he was in his air nomad clothing again. It always seemed to happen to him in the realm of the immortals. It was strange, and he never really thought about it, but the last thing he wore was a simple Fire Nation uniform for his firebending. He hated standing out these days. He supposed it came with constantly blending into wherever he was. To make matters worse, the annoying, stubborn white monkey was back again, wearing human clothes and prayer beads and humming to himself, deep in meditation, seated on his own strange altar under a wooden arch. Aang approached him, feeling a sense of deja vu. Hey, tell me where Ko is, Aang demanded. The monkey ignored him and hummed louder. Hey, I need some help here. He was not feeling particularly patient today. Go away, the monkey said flatly. No, Aang answered in the same tone, folding his arms. The monkey grudgingly opened one eye and acknowledged Aang, but a glow of will-o'-the-wisp fluttered by calmly. Follow that thing. It will show you what you need, the monkey spirit said, closing his eye again. When Aang didn't move, the spirit spoke again. Goodbye. I'm not an idiot, Aang said roughly. Now tell me where Ko is. Now the monkey opened both of his eyes. Hmm, you didn't fall for that trick again. I suppose you're not as dumb as you look. He began to meditate again. The avatar seethed. Now wait just a minute, he shouted. But as he pointed his finger at the monkey, he froze. Wait, what do you mean by again? The monkey sighed. This happened before, did it not? You mean, you remember? You know about my other life? Aang asked, surprised heavy in his voice. Then he became angry again. But how come Kurik doesn't know? I thought I was here all alone, but he was lying to me all along? I do not have time for this, the monkey muttered to himself closing his eyes and humming again. Don't give me that crap, Aang said to him harshly. You got an eternity to meditate. You're a spirit. Now I want an explanation. He crossed his arms and waited. Come closer, the monkey said. Aang tilted his head at the strange request, but complied, stepping up on the monkey's altar. Closer, the monkey said again. Aang bent down to the seated creature. Suddenly, he was hit very hard on the head with some sort of staff. Hey, what was that for? The Avatar yelled, grimacing and holding a hand to the bump that was surely growing. You are annoying, the monkey stated simply. You assume too much and you are too loud and distracting. I'm annoying! The spirit world is no longer in balance, the monkey cut across his outburst. Things that are outside my control are happening. My immortal life may very well end sooner than apocalypse. Or, indeed, the apocalypse may be upon us. What's happening? the monk asked, not expecting this bit of information. Is the spirit world connected to my world? There is only one spirit world, so yes, the monkey stated. Do not worry yourself about these troubles. They are far beyond your duties as Avatar, and you cannot do anything at the moment to help. 
Then why did you mention it, Aang deadpan? The monkey rolled his eyes. Because you were assuming things. You may, perhaps, learn about it another time. Then the monkey closed his eyes and began to meditate again. Why did Kurik lie to me? Aang asked, sitting down and crossing his legs. For some reason, the ends of the world didn't seem to bother him much. You did not lie. You just didn't know the truth yet, the monkey said, keeping his eyes shut. What do you mean, you? Aang asked, narrowing his eyes. You are the Avatar, correct? It is all the same spirit. Identities matter not to me. Who are you, anyway? Aang asked inquisitively. You're a strange spirit. That is a strange thing to say, said the monkey. You have met many strange spirits. Good point, Aang conceded. I am the judge of mortals, monkey king Enma, the wandering monk, the omnipotent, great king Enma, Yama, the laughing monk, and soon Wukong. But you may call me Enma for the sake of simplicity, the monk stated with closed eyes. That's a lot of names. Isn't that a little excessive? Aang asked, raising an eyebrow. You asked, Enma said simply. I have many more names in many ancient tongues. Interesting. So you probably know a lot, Aang said. Indeed, said the monkey. That's a relief. I'm glad I don't have to see Ko again. Enma continued humming. Can you help me? Aang asked him. I hoped that telling you that much would scare you off, but it appears not, said Enma. We are currently in Ko's realm. It would be polite to visit. Well, you're crazy, you dumb bamboon, Aang told him. Perhaps, said Enma, humming again to himself. Well, since you already know where I really came from, then that saves me from explaining myself, Aang said. I need to know who those spirits of fire are that gave Tylee a little bit of their life. They might be in danger. You are correct, Enma confirmed. Then who are they? What are their names? Aang asked eagerly. They are Ran and Shao, the first pair of dragons, after Agni himself, who also taught the art of firebending to mortals, Enma explained quickly. Ironically, they are also the last dragons, but that is unimportant. Okay, I thought so, Aang said. He began to get up and somehow returned to the natural world, but he was stopped by Enma's further words. You're leaving, hmm, and I still had more to say. Strange how you leave when I finally want to say something else. The monkey mused. Aang didn't move, waiting for him to finish. Well, Aang urged him, hurry, I don't have much time left. Enma sighed and rolled his eyes. Ran and Shao are not the spirits of fire. They are the spirits of the two aspects that make up fire. What do you mean? Aang asked, straightening. Ran is life, and his mate, Shao, is destruction. Together, they weave an eternal dance that makes up the two aspects of firebending. Enma explained. They were the ones to teach the art to your race, after all. Enma hummed at a deep breath, closing his eyes for a moment. The spirit of destruction is inside your friend. Shao is in danger. That waterbender plans to take away the destructive powers of firebending, so the ultimate weapon of his enemies is rendered useless. I think you know the results of what would happen, Enma finished. Aang clenched his fists. Okay, then I need to get out of here. I don't know how much time I have left. Aang turned again to leave. I am surprised, young Avatar, Enma spoke, freezing him in place again, that you were not at this moment asking how you might return home. 
the monkey opened up one eye again and observed him closely. That's not important right now, Aang said after a moment. All I need to do now is return to the natural world. How? Enma smirked. Friends are here to guide you back. And suddenly, a murky shape took form in the water, and a black and white figure emerged from the trees. It was the painted lady Aunt Haybai. Hey, you two, Aang greeted the spirits with a smile. The spirit woman offered one back, while the forest spirit offered a low growl. Good luck, Aang, the river spirit said softly, enveloping him with water. He felt his consciousness leaving him as her face made him think of Katara. He was returning back to the natural world, the place where the water tribe ruled and he was siding with his previous enemy. However, he did not find that he minded much. He needed to help them. They were his friends, and they needed him now. Finally, said Enma, returning back to his meditation without distractions. However, Haybai morphed into his monster form again and blasted him with sonic rays. The painted lady laughed delicately. Gigantic balls of ice and floods of water crashed into the ornate buildings of the Golden City as the nighttime siege continued. The water-bending soldiers had entered the city long before and easily found sources for their bending once inside. Firebenders met them at every turn, protecting their home with the passion and skill they were known for. Zhang Zhang was at the forefront of the attack, fighting off hordes of waterbenders with enormous walls of fire that absorbed and dissipated every attack directed at him, surrounding him completely with a raging inferno that remarkably did not harm any of the buildings around him, a testament to his astonishing control over his element. However, it wasn't enough. The waterbenders had the advantage of night on their side. Elsewhere in the city, Bato and a group of his soldiers and Tai Lee were out in the open now that the waterbenders were ravaging the city. He was trying, unsuccessfully, to find the dragon altar, but there was no mention of it on any Golden City maps he scoured. A cold smirk lit up his face as he turned to Tai Lee, who was currently entertaining herself by attempting to wrap her own braid around her head with her bad hand. All she succeeded in doing was twisting her head erratically. Princess, Bato called to her. What do you want now? she whined. You will show me where the dragon altar is, he ordered. What for? she asked inquisitively. Another idea occurred to Bato. Well, because I heard a rumor many years ago that some dragons still existed there. They've always been my favorite creatures, and I dearly wanted to see them, he said venomously. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, let's go, the girl said excitedly. But... You're going to have to untie my legs so I can show you the way. Don't count on it, Bato growled. High Chief Zhuzhen looked over his city as it was laid siege with a mournful expression on his face. His last daughter was down there somewhere, and she was possibly in danger. He was constantly administering orders to his men, but he was forced to remain cooped up in the palace instead of go out on the battlefield with his soldiers. The ground was rumbling. Ron and Chow were angry and stern, their sleep disturbed. He hoped the ancient creatures weren't released this day. I can't see a thing through all this ash and smoke! Azula and Zuko's search for Aang and Sokka was not going well, as the volcanic fumes were starting to have effects on them, too. They were forced to cover their mouths and noses with their shirts. We have to keep looking, Azula said with conviction, as if trying to convince herself. Appa growled loudly. 
He, too, was in pain, but he also wanted to find Lin. As Azula was scanning the ground below, she was distracted by a bright, slightly blue light that shone overhead. Both she and her brother turned their eyes to the sky, seeing a streak of light pass and throw itself into a cave some distance away. That must have been Aang, Azula said at once. Sokka had long since closed the Avatar's eyes as he felt that the glowing balls were staring at him. Now, he almost appeared to be sleeping, but he was bound tightly, just in case. The two had taken some form of shelter in an old, inactive vent in the side of the mountain, safe for now from the poisonous fumes outside. He did not know when his lungs would be clear enough to emerge again, and that made him angry. He punched the cave wall and was only rewarded with bruised knuckles. How come my plans never work? he roared, adding a kick for good measure. There was always something interfering, something totally out of his control, always sent to oppose him. My sister, she's never failed. She's a fighter, yeah, but despite the trouble she causes, she's favored by father, Sokka snorted. She's a waterbending prodigy. I'm barely even a master. My father says she was born lucky. He says I was lucky to be born. Sokka halted in his tirade to the Avatar, frozen by the thoughts that entered his head out of nowhere. Now where did that come from? His father, he never said that. So lost in his own mind, he didn't notice the Avatar sitting up behind him. Hey Sokka! Aang yelled. The prince turned to him, seeing a sort of wry grin. As soon as the waterbender moved, a huge burst of wind was expelled from the younger boy's lungs. Sokka was thrown outside, skidding against the rocky ground. He stood quickly, putting a hand on his machete as the Avatar comically hopped out of the vent. This time, the boy blew fire from his mouth, and the waterbender rolled to his side to avoid getting hit. He almost rolled into a geyser of hot air. You won't be able to escape that easy, Sokka said sharply, narrowing his one remaining eye. As he said those words, he was forced to dodge a blast of fire from the sky. When he turned to look, the Avatar's firebending friend was seated on the back of the bison, which growled in greeting. You back for a rematch? Sokka called to her, once she landed on the ground before the bison. He wasn't quite prepared for this. He was forced to use his drinking water against her. Trust me, it's not going to be much of a rematch, Sokka, she answered, smirking. She thrust her whole body forward into the attack, unleashing a blast of orange fire from her knuckles. The concussive attack knocked him backward, colliding his head with a rock. He knew no more. Zuko was already by Aang's side cutting away the rope that bound him. Once freed, Aang walked over to Sokka and lifted the prince's unconscious form onto his back. What are you doing? Azula demanded, rather than asked. We're not leaving him here to die, Aang answered plainly. She crossed her arms in response and leapt back onto the bison. Zuko didn't argue. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Let's bring the guy who's constantly trying to kill us. A voice resounded in Zuko's head. Who said that? The swordsman asked Aang and Azula. Who said what? Aang responded. Never mind, Zuko said, giving a light shake of his head. Let's go back to the city. That way! Which way? That way! No, no, not left. Up those stairs! Well, if you could be more specific, Bato growled. The girl on the shoulders of one of his men was really starting to annoy him. He had to find and slay the dragon fast, before daybreak, when the firebenders would be able to retaliate with their full strength. Well, if my hands were free, I'd be able to point, 
Hiley argued. But no, I have to stay bound. Each step jarred Hiley as her captors ran. She, like all the others, was looking ahead with determination in their eyes. Quickly, they came upon the palace, and Hiley set her jaw. The palace? Why did you bring us here? Bato yelled, turning to the princess. The dragons are near the palace, dum-dum, Hiley returned. And suddenly, she began to shout. Hey! Hey! Somebody help! She was silenced from saying anything further, but palace guards began appearing. The princess smirked. Her plan had worked. You stupid wretch, Bato seethed. You were leading us into a trap all along. Uh-huh, she said with a wide smile. Did you think I was that stupid? But as the guards surrounded them, Bato lifted the girl with one hand and held his machete under her throat with the other. Make one more move and your precious princess will be killed, Bato said confidently to the guards. The high chief himself forced his way through the crowd. Toili, Zhu Zhen shouted. Bato's machete prevented her from the metal was pressed against her neck. You will lead me to the two dragons, or the girl will die, the admiral threatened. Dad, don't! I gladly die for my people, Tyler yelled. Zhuzhen was conflicted. Would he sacrifice his people or his daughter? Come, Zhuzhen said finally, defeated. Pato smirked, guiding Tyler along, flanked by his soldiers. Leave your men behind, Bato clarified as they moved. Zhuzhen motioned for his soldiers to stay, and the high chief guided them there himself. They came upon the ornate golden door that served as the entrance to the dragon altar, which could only be opened by firebending. Zhuzhen unsealed the doors and continued, presenting to them the glorious scene of the watery sun and the dragon steps, the scene of Bato's victory. The door was sealed behind them to keep anyone else out. Where are the dragons? Bato asked Zhuzhen. If this is another ambush... It is no ambush, Zhuzhen said quietly. The dragons will appear once you climb the steps and stand upon their altar. Good. Your usefulness has been spent, Bato said, giving a swift hit to the temple with a bone-handled machete. The high chief promptly fell to the ground, unconscious. Bato turned to his small team of soldiers. You have all done well. Stay here and stand guard. He turned toward the imposing stairs, intending to make the climb himself. He dropped Tylee at his feet, who landed with a muffled cry of pain. Every step Bato took symbolized his ascension, not only to the altar, but his absolute rise in power. He reveled in the glory. A loud, low groan rung out in the air, causing Bato's and everyone else's heads to turn to the nose. Bato was halfway up the steps, and he cursed. The Avatar was here. The boy leapt from his bison's head before it hit the ground, drawing his sword and knocking away all of Bato's soldiers with a shockwave of air. Even Tylee tumbled, but since she was already on the ground, she didn't go far. He swung his black blade and cleanly cut through her binds, freeing the girl. She stretched her limbs. Finally! Tylee groaned, flexing her sore muscles. By this time, Oppo landed, and Zuko jumped in the saddle eagerly with his own swords drawn. Azula, stay up there! Aang shouted to the firebender. Watch him! Don't let him be taken! She knew full well who he was. The girl rolled her eyes, but grudgingly accepted the offer. The water prince was unconscious through the whole journey back, and for some reason, Aang wanted to keep him. She did not agree, but he strictly told her to listen to him. She supposed it would deal a major blow to the enemy, the Water Nation. 
Sokka was currently hidden under a blanket. Aang ran to the base of the staircase and swung his sword in an overhead arc, releasing blades of air in the wake of his weapon. None of them reached far enough to hit Bato, who continued running. As Aang was about to follow, a pink blur sped by him and bounced up each stair with astonishing skill and balance, determined to stop the waterbender herself. Aang followed at a slightly slower pace. He left his glider on Appa, and there was no time to go back and get it now. Bato was almost at the top, followed closely by Tyree and then Aang. Bato! Stop! A voice shouted hoarsely, managing to reach them even from their altitude. The waterbender turned and coldly regarded the new appearance. Lady Kana, what a pleasant surprise, he said silkily. He formed a wall of water and held it directly below him on the staircase, preventing Tyree from reaching him. She couldn't even jump over it. However, Aang could. He reached Tyree's height and in no time, giving her a quick glance, he pushed himself upward with a fierce wind and changed his direction, propelling toward Bato with a burst of fire from his feet. He drew back his sword, ready to swing, but water coiled around him from behind and flung him backwards, straight through the open air, where he fell, fell, fell. In midair, Aang frantically wheeled his arms, generating wind resistance that slowed his fall, landing on a cushion of air. He was safe, but back where he started. He looked up at Bato and Tyree. Whatever you do to those dragons, I'll unleash on you tenfold, Kana bellowed. Bato, unheeding her words, finally reached the top of the dragon altar. They waited. The waterbender spread his arms wide at the top, as if encompassing the entire world and spirits in his grasp. Run! Show! he roared. Come and meet your destiny! As if answering his call, two long, serpentine forms sharpened the tunnels on either side of him, wearing ferocious faces, tremendous wings, and piercing yellow eyes. One was the color of the water in the sky, of azure and blue fire, and the other was ruby red, of crimson fire and blood, and the dawn sky which was lighting up behind them. Together, they divulged all their majesty, flying, soaring, swimming through the air, the last of their kind. Life and destruction, Ren and Shao, the two sides of fire bending, revealed in all their glory. They twisted and coiled around the stairs on Bato, conjuring great winds that ruffled both him and Tyree. The princess and everyone below her gasped in awe. It was not often that the two true firebending masters came out of their lairs. Bato used the water from his wall and twisted it, condensing the water into one long lance of ice. He aimed carefully, following the path of the blue dragon Shao. She circled ever so slowly, observing the waterbender carefully with one of her serpentine eyes, as if resigned to her fate. He pulled back the lance, ready to throw, and he was tackled from behind by the form of Tai Li, who had no time to attack his chi points. The two rolled and brawled perilously close to the edge of the altar, but before she could disable him, he managed to attack her with a jet of water, forcing her over the edge. Tai Li! Zuko howled at the top of his lungs. Aang circled around the staircase at the speed of wind, planning to do whatever he could to save her life, but saw her still, hanging over the top of the altar with all the strength she could muster. And then... Bato threw his lance, aiming for the weakness in the blue scales, her underside, her heart. The ice pierced the dragon, spouting shockingly black blood. Shao gave a loud wail, echoing piercingly over the valley and throughout the city. She seemed to fall slowly. Everyone was frozen, unable to react. Finally, she crashed against the ground, right at the base of the staircase, spilling the basins of water and their contents all over. Outside in the Golden City, 
The battle still raged. Fire soldiers were combating their enemies with weapons, but some who used firebending were still standing. Zhang Zhang was one of those people, coming face to face with half a dozen waterbenders. He calmly regarded them and shot a jet of fire from his fists, continually blasting and covering them all. But it seemed to do no damage, as if it were no more than a warm breeze. The cringing soldiers realized that their life was spared by some unseen force and continued attacking. This was happening to firebenders all around the globe. Kana sprang into action, displaying surprising strength and skill for a woman who was thought to be forbidden to fight. Water from the sun-shaped basins reached out for her, and she gladly pulled it in, surrounding herself in it and utilizing the octopus form to grab all of Bato's private soldiers and slam them against the ground. The dragon and her wings seemed to take up all the space in the holy area. Her mate, Ren, circled the sky frantically around Bato. Bato feared the woman's wrath. Using what remaining water he had, he covered his feet and slid down the whole staircase, calling up water from the destruction below, which carried him over the dragon's unmoving form. Kana was about to give chase, but Aang stopped her with a request. Please, we need you to heal the dragon for us, Aang pleaded. He soared over Shao's form himself and circled around the back of the altar, seeing Tai Li still hanging for her life. Tai Li, let yourself fall, I'll catch you. The girl rapidly felt the strength leaving her fingers, which were pale white. She looked fearfully below her, seeing the speck on the ground that was Aang. It was such a far drop, but she didn't have much time left either way. She'd be forced to let go by her own body. And fall, it did. The wind screamed past her as she descended, giving out a long, drawn-out cry. And somehow, the wind seemed to be getting stronger, ripping her hair straight up, and perhaps even slowing her fall. And she was surprised when she landed on something soft, causing her to bounce off of it. And she flew, rather ungracefully, into someone's arms, causing her and the other person to topple over painfully. She looked at the person who she was now crushing beneath her. Aang! She shouted joyfully, hugging him as tightly as she could. Aang was solemn as the air cushion he used to catch her dissipated, looking past the girl at the form of the fallen dragon. The distressed red dragon, Ran, finally made a new movement, shooting off into the city. Revenge was in its cry. He had failed, again. And now, Tylee would be the one to pay the price by giving up her own borrowed life. Absolute fury of the worst kind gripped the dragon lord as he swooped down onto the city, his eyes burning, giving him a shade of only red. Bestial instincts took over completely, but the majestic creature somehow managed to differentiate between the sun warriors, the ones who worshipped his kind, and the enemies. Rip. Burn. Kill. Ran, who commonly symbolized warmth and life, was unleashing complete destruction on the moon worshippers below. A terrible sight to behold. The very last sight of his prey as they died in anguish, ripped by his piercing claws or turned into ash in a storm of fire. Innocent civilians cried and hid their children from the gruesome sight, but hearts of sympathy reached out to the distressed dragon that had lost its mate. The direct descendant of Agni coiled and soared high above the city and the mountains, flying free for the first time in decades. It did not revel in that freedom. More blood needed to be spilled. Ran set his serpentine eyes on the water navy fleet. All hope is lost, Tylee mumbled sadly, falling to her knees in front of the body of Zhao. The sapphire-colored dragon was unmoving. Zuku, Azula, Kana, and Tai Li were all mournful and terrified of the fate of the firebenders. But Aang was worst of all. He had failed again, 
He knew it was coming next, and he couldn't stop it. You have been touched by the spirits, Kana said in awe, pointing to Tylee. Some of her life exists in you. Tylee's face morphed into one that was dutiful, solemn, sad. Yeah, you're right, huh? And she stood up. Zuko moved as if to intervene, but Aang beat him to it. No! All faces turned to the normally calm, level-headed avatar in shock. I can't let this happen! Tylee can't die! Aang! There's no other choice! Azula said sharply to him, but he could hear the pain in her voice. She had long since abandoned her post over the unconscious Sokka to join them. Yes, there has to be, Aang said sincerely. Kana, you're our only hope. Heal her. But she's already dead, the old woman said quietly, resting a hand on the dragon's soft underbelly. No, quickly, just try it, damn you. Heal her. He knew this was coming and he couldn't stop it. His eyes were hot and his throat hurt as he shouted at the old waterbender, and without even realizing it, he let the tears fall. Coming here, to this world, it was all for naught. He thought he had the chance to change things, but was fate irreversible? Was Yue meant to die? Was Tai Lee meant to die? Aang collapsed to his knees and sobbed freely, feeling defeated, worthless like a failure. The sight of him made Zuko angry, who clenched his fist. Azula looked at him softly and averted her eyes, unable to watch him break down. Tylee felt her own resolve wavering at the sight of his crumpled form. Only Kana got the glorious but painful sight of the young boy suddenly looking forward, an otherworldly glow in his eyes and tattoos. The Avatar spirit had been awakened again. The bridge between the worlds slowly stood and straightened, and for once fierce winds weren't whipping the space around him. In the same movement as his rise, he calmly brought his hands closer to him and splayed out his fingers. The water around his knees began to rise. The boy threw his hands into the heavens, summoning up all the water around them, freed from the basins and the rocks, lifted high into the air. Lingering droplets floated after the large mass, capturing the eyes of everyone present. And then, the great being before them spoke, his voice layered with thousands of spirits within him. Kana, help me. Help us. The mass of water began to glow. It was a pure white, like the Avatar spirit's container's eyes and tattoos, shining brightly enough to nearly blind them. Zuko, Azula, and Tylee shielded their eyes. Each shining droplet glittered like a star. The Avatar guided it to the dragon's wound, and as the healing began its long, difficult process, a delicate ringing was produced that was likened to music, though a soft and mournful kind. Kana joined the Avatar in concentration, laying her hands in the water over the horrendous wound. Her own small spirit was dwarfed in comparison to the mighty beings next to her, but it made her almost completely at peace. With this kind of help, the task in front of her did not really seem as daunting. The holy light made it seem as if nothing could go wrong. Look! Tylee gasped, unable to keep her eyes away from the wonderful sight. She's breathing! And indeed... Xiao's form was rising and falling. She was alive. Bato surfed on a platform of water as it dragged him through the city, away from all the fighting and far from the dragon. He was focused only on leaving the city to safety, his mission completed. If his feet was still floating, they would take the city in a matter of hours. And suddenly, he felt as if he crashed into a solid, invisible wall. The water halted, throwing the bender, riding it into the ground. 
Bato groaned and pushed himself up. Only a waterbender could have done that to him. You! A feminine voice shouted at the man. Bato whipped his head around and looked at the person who dared challenge him, standing in the middle of the road several feet away. It was definitely a woman, with tan skin, thick, wavy mahogany hair, and cold blue eyes. You tried to kill my brother! Princess Katara! Bato exclaimed, stunned. What are you doing here? Watching my brother's back! She shot at him, swinging her arm. Ice needles shot at the Water Tribe warrior who dodge-rolled. You tried to kill him! More than once! Well, too bad. Your brother's been dead for days, Bato said venomously. Killed by a bounty hunter he hired months ago. That was a setup, planned by Sokka himself, the Water Princess glared. You're a weakling and a fool, you know that? He's alive, and I'm going to kill you for him. Puddles from recent rains shot toward the male waterbender from both sides, freezing in midair to deadly icicles. He was able to condense moisture fast enough into a stream of water, which punched at the girl faster than the eye could see. Anger in her features, the younger fighter dashed in the man's direction, drawing water from her pouch as she went. The rope of water twisted around the man's ankle and ripped it out from under him, throwing him to the ground. Bato snarled and picked up water from the ground, shooting more ice spikes at her. She sidestepped, turning it into a zigzag motion, running toward him again, gathering water on both sides of her. It coiled in the air and rushed at her opponent, nearly breaking him with the astounding weight. You know, Bato panted, it's dishonorable for a man to have a woman fight his battles for him. Custom breaker. That's why he doesn't know about me, Katara smirked, continuing the onslaught. Rand stopped his uncontrollable rage, feeling the life of his mate return to him. He unleashed one final victory roar into the sky and disregarded the burning, melted fleet below him and flew back. As it soared over the city of gold, the great dragon spotted more water people flinging their flimsy liquid into the air. Rand dove toward them. That's it, Bato. You've lost, Katara said darkly, straightening. She pushed her long hair out of her face. The man was growling, trying to shake himself free of the ice pillar she locked him in. He was disgraced, beaten by a woman who was never formally taught to fight. No, he yelled, anguished. She crossed her arms, looking away, and into the sky. There, she spotted a fearsome sight. Bato, she yelled, but it was too late, and was forced to dive out of the way. The crimson dragon swooped down on the middle-aged waterbender and plucked him off the top of the ice pillar, holding him in his great maw. The dragon tilted his head back, swallowing him. Katara winced, but remained hidden. There was nothing she could do. Besides, the monster probably deserved it. They were silent as the Avatar and the Healer worked, still surrounded by the ethereal glow, healing the terrible wound of the blue dragon. They both had their eyes shut tightly, gathering their wellsprings of knowledge to the forefront of their minds, searching deep within. Zuko, Azula, and Tai Li waited with held breaths. And finally, the Avatar's arms seemed to shudder, and the glowing and spiritual ringing died out. Aang managed to let the water down gently with the last of his power, but he immediately collapsed afterwards. Zuko and Azula were there to catch him. He moaned. I haven't felt like this in a while. Aang muttered, grabbing his head. The only other time Azula saw him in the Avatar state, he didn't collapse like this. But he easily used much more power this time. She hugged him tightly, resting her eyes, glad that he was safe. You did it! 
Zuko was the first to shout in joy, punching a fist into the air upon realizing the fate of the dragon. The dragon is alive and safe! We won! And he turned to Tai Li and smiled just like her, hugging her tightly. You're alive! And, surprisingly, Azula willfully joined in, too, grinning from ear to ear. On Appa's back, Sokka popped up from under the blanket, still bound by the thick ropes. He seemed dazed and confused. What's going on here? He mumbled lightly, his unscarred eye half-lidded. Kana shot her gazes at the other four children. We can explain, Azula said, laughing to herself. She was too happy to care about the older woman's reaction. The sun rose again over the grand city. A new day bringing healing and reconstruction. Townspeople set to work rebuilding their homes from the waterbender siege and even the dragon's attack, eradicating any lagging enemies from their city and cleaning out the bay of the wrecked ships. Zhuzhen stood, looking over his city, his hands clasped behind his back and a smile on his face. His head was heavily bandaged from Bato's blow, but he too was happy. Aang, Azula, Zuko, and Tai Li stepped up by his side. Well, we have to get going soon, Aang started. I need to find an earthbending master. I know, Zhuzhen stated. You need to complete your destiny. Thank you, Avatar, for saving my city and keeping the waterbenders away. We owe you a great debt. Don't worry about it, Aang dismissed him with a grin. His gaze was taken by Zhang Zhang, who was striding up the steps toward the group. He looked the same as ever. Master Zhang Zhang! Aang called in greeting. Azula bowed. Master Aang, Master Azula, he said shortly, bowing in return. Aang's eyes almost popped out of his head, and Azula gasped. Masters? Azula managed to choke out, shocked. But, but... No stuttering, the firebending teacher ordered. You have both progressed rapidly, far better than any other student I have seen. You are hard workers who show fierce determination and worth, as well as the potential to grow and learn. You have been deemed worthy of the title, Master. Thank you, Aang said gratefully, and they both bowed together. Aang then looked toward the horizon. So, he said, turning to Zuko, Azula, and Tylee. Are you guys with me? He asked hopefully. Our next destination is the Earth Kingdom. And after the dangers you guys saw here, well... Don't you dare finish that sentence, Azula said through clenched teeth. Are you that unobservant and stupid? Do you even need to ask? What do you mean? Aang asked her. Suko stepped by her side in support and laughed. Wow, Aang. I never expected you to be this dense, he said. Of course we're coming with you. We're in this till the end. I thought you knew that from the beginning. Zhuzhen and Zhang Zhang smirked. Aang turned to the only remaining member. Tai Li? She fidgeted with her fingers nervously, avoiding looking in his eyes. I'm sorry, Aang, and Zuko, and Azula she said quietly. I think, I think that my place is with my people now. As she spoke, she gradually sounded sure of herself. It took me a while to realize it, and you guys helped, but I'm ready to accept my position as princess of the city. I'd give anything to them. I finally understand. She clenched her fist. Sorry, but I'm staying here. Aang smiled gently. That's good, Tylee. I'm happy for you. Zuko clasped both of her hands. Are you sure? She nodded. Well, I can't force you to make a different decision, can I? He sighed. So, I guess that's it between us, huh? She nodded sadly. Yeah. 
It was never true love between us, was it? He asked. No, but she smiled. I'm not going to get in the way of that other girl on your mind, she said deviously. At his shocked expression, she giggled. I know about her, Zuko. I can see it in your aura. And I don't mind. I hope you're happy with her, whoever she is. Nay, Zuko thought to himself, setting his jaw. He didn't realize it, but did she have that much of a lasting effect on him? The few days they were together? He became concerned for Tylee again. But what about Chan? I hope things get better for you. Oh, don't worry about that, she said, snorting. Daddy gave me the freedom to choose who I want to marry myself. Who? he asked, genuinely interested. <laughs> Not Chan. And she laughed again. It was infectious, causing all the others to join in. She wrapped her arms around Zuko in a tight hug, as if giving her last goodbye. A moment later, Aang and Azula put their arms around the two, and Sabashi coiled around their heads. Zhang Zhang broke the moment of happiness. What are you going to do about your young captive? he asked. As Sokka was led over to them and Appa, bound in rope, Aang sighed upon seeing his former friend. We'll take him with us, just like his grandmother wanted, Aang said emotionlessly. Sokka didn't react. He had already known this. He was there when Kana decided to leave him with the Avatar, hoping they'd be a good influence on him, while she ran away to the Earth Kingdom to find some contacts. He had not spoken since that moment, boiling in well-concealed anger for everyone around him, treating him like a common animal. Aang planned for this to happen this time around, but he did not expect Kana's ready rejection of her grandson. He wondered how it would affect the waterbender. Aang was worried for his former friend, and he subconsciously gripped the hilt of his black sword tightly. He hated doing this to Sokka. As he looked to the south, towards the Earth Kingdom, Aang wondered how much his journey would change from his previous one, wondering what awaited him in the land of the Earthbenders. The newest turn of events was pushing him and his friends ever onward to their destinies. His next mission? Finding Toph. Katara was currently residing in a seaside cave not far from the Golden City, staring over the ocean as she contemplated her next move. Would she follow her traitorous grandmother, or would she continue to trail her brother now that he was in the arms of the enemy? She knew she couldn't face them all by herself. She needed something, someone new to help her in her pursuit. And then she remembered she was a princess, and she had the support of the entire water nation behind her. Nobody stole her brother and got away with it. Hey guys, that is the end of this chapter, and with it, the end of book one. Wow, it's amazing how far we've come. I would say that this is a third of the way through the story, but the fact of the matter is, um, that as the story is still ongoing, I can't say that with any confidence. Anyways, uh, we will return to business as usual next week with a single chapter. Um, I don't have much else to tell you other than the audio situation is hopefully stabilized. I have my good mic. I think I figured out how to get rid of some of the background noise of being in a dorm. And other than that, I would just really appreciate it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, sent us a comment, posted an ask, emailed us, tweeted at us, 
replied to our Reddit posts, literally anything to show your appreciation. Because we appreciate you for listening, but it's hard to tell who's actually listening when we don't get any feedback. Anyway, that's all for now. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.